Well, it is wonderful to, to have you with us. Thank you, as I said, for, uh, for being here. Um, 2023, it's almost done. I wonder how that makes you feel. I wonder what overriding emotion is in your mind as you uh, turn the page on the calendar uh, or maybe open that brand new one that you might have got for Christmas. Um, maybe it's uh, maybe a sense of joy at a new year or everything that's been in 2023. Maybe it's a sense of sadness, of sheer exhaustion, of hope, relief, all of the above in various ways or, or none of the above. Um, and in many ways, uh, as Tim has helpfully led us so far today, in many ways, it's just another day. It's another gift of 24 hours that the Lord has given us that we will go to bed tonight and the dawn will rise again in the morning if the Lord wills. It's just another day in many ways, but there is something significant about this turning over of the year. And it does give us a very natural stopping reflection point where we think about what has been and we hope for what might be to come. And so I wonder how you would reflect on the 12 months that have just ended. Um, Hopefully, as you consider some of the circumstances that you've been brought through, uh, you can recall some of the lessons you've learned along the way. You can uh, be aware very much of God's helping, of his guiding, of his teaching of you, of his strengthening hand. Uh, And we've certainly known that as a church family here, as we've sought to learn more from him in his word. Um, We've sought to encourage one another in our love for him and our love for one another. Um, We've watched some of our little ones grow. We've gathered with families who have uh, known very tangibly the the grief of loss. And and so through it all, we have known God's goodness, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. I pray we've known his help, his strength, his provision. Uh, And all of those themes, all of those characteristics are are themes that we've certainly seen as we've studied since September throughout the book of Joshua. Joshua. And we've been studying since then, and in 23 chapters that we've looked at up until now, we have seen the unbreakable promises of God. It's one of the things that we've been celebrating, that he makes and keeps his promises. It's one of the things that has been this resounding gong that has been ringing out throughout these 23 chapters, that God makes promises to his people, and because they are unbreakable, he keeps those promises for his people. And therefore, his people can act in the light of the promises. They can be courageous because of the certainty of the promises that are coming. All of those themes have been guiding us through this book of Joshua. And in our last session at the end of November, uh, we saw this verse at the end of chapter 23, when Joshua is speaking to the people and he says, you know with all your heart and soul, not one of all the good promises the Lord gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. And so this has been the overarching theme throughout this book. And today, as we finish chapter 24 of this wonderful Old Testament book, this idea and this concept of God's faithfulness, this reminder of his unbreakable word is again the driving force behind what we're going to see. And and I say driving force because chapter 24 is an action type chapter. It is a chapter of momentum. It's a chapter of doing something. It's a chapter of Joshua calling the people to take action based on all that we have seen so far in the 23 chapters that precede it. And there is a very clear theme of chapter 24. And it's, it's made clear by the repeated use of the term to serve or to worship. It's actually the same verb, the Hebrew verb, that appears 15 times in this chapter. To serve or to worship. The idea is that you give yourself to something and serve that wholeheartedly. And it's used, as I said, 15 times throughout this chapter. So clearly this is an important theme that we need to look at. And as we'll see, 
it is incredibly important because it isn't just about how we serve, but the question and the, the proposition that Joshua puts in front of the people is, choose this day for yourselves who you will serve. And so based on everything that has happened in the history of God's people, way beyond this generation, the people are going to be invited in to think, who are you going to serve? Are you going to con continue to serve the gods of your ancestors, the gods of the lands of the people that we've overtaken that God has given to us here? Or are you going to serve the one true God, Yahweh? And so as we stand at the, at the outset of a new year, that is a good question for us to consider. It is always a good question for us to consider. Choose this day who you will serve. And so as we enter into 2024, my prayer for all of us is that this is a year where we very intentionally and very proactively choose to serve the Lord. As Joshua declares at the end of verse 15 of chapter 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've got a nice piece of artwork that I downloaded that if anyone wants a copy of that, stick up in your house. And maybe you should come right through to your front door. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great reminder that would be. What a super resolution that would be. And what a godly thing to, to commit to. And so we're going to ask that of, we're going to see that in the people. And here is the central theme of the chapter. It appears in the central verses of the chapter in verses 14 and 15. We will read more of the chapter, but this just highlights the central um, driving force behind the whole chapter. As Joshua finishes a speech made on behalf of God and in the voice of God, then he says in verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, who, or whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You can see even in these two verses that repetition of the idea of service or worship. That same Hebrew word that appears so many times just in these two verses: choose who you will serve. Choose whom you will serve. As for me and my household, Joshua declares, we will serve the Lord. And so that's the question, that's the choice put before every single one of us this morning. Who will we serve? Will we serve the, the, mighty, uh, the mighty number and the, the, the numerous gods, small g, that are around us, that vie for our attention, that seem so appealing, that, that seem to offer so much and promise so much? Or will we serve the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God? And this choice that... Joshua puts in front of the people, it, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not pulled from isolation. There's a very clear context in which this choice is presented. And that context is given by the first 13 verses. And so we'll consider that first. If this choice is being presented to the people, what has led Joshua to say at the start of verse 14, now fear the Lord. The ESV has that a little bit stronger where it says, now therefore, based on everything that has come in the first 13 verses, what are you going to do? And so let's consider what the context is for the choice that's being presented. And then in verses 14 and 15, we see the clarity of the choice. It's laid bare. Choose who you will serve, whom you will serve. Apologies for any grammarians in the room. If I get who and whom mixed, it's genuinely because I don't know which it should be. Um, apologies for that. And even when I searched to try to find help, I got conflicting advice. So I'm just going to go for it and you'll please just go with me. Choose this day whom you will serve. That's, that's the question. That's the choice. It is God or not God. 
there's a real clarity in the choice and a real urgency to make that choice. And then we see the people committing to the choice, this life-changing choice. Joshua makes it abundantly clear this is not a, a choice to be taken lightly. That, that to follow God, to commit to him, to choose to serve him is going to take your whole life. So count the cost and then throw everything that you have behind the one true God who is good and is the best thing to follow, who is the best person to follow. And so we see the context of the choice, the clarity in the choice, and then the people's commitment to that choice. And so let's work our way through the chapter and we'll see this unfold hopefully before us. We'll start by thinking about the context for the choice. And as I say, we're going to read the first 13 verses um, as we do that. So Joshua chapter 24, if you have a copy of God's word, please do follow along. Or if you, if you don't have one with you, then please do feel free to take um, one of those red chair Bibles that might be around you um, and follow along with God's inspired word. So Joshua chapter 21, sorry, chapter 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now, let's just pause here for a second because we've seen Shechem before. The people have indeed gathered at Shechem before. At the end of chapter 8, or sorry, in chapter 8, when the people recommit themselves to the covenant, they do it here. We've also seen people gather a lot recently. Chapters 22, 23, and 24 all start with a summoning of people coming together to be presented. And in this case, they present themselves before God. And so this gathering is significant and it's happening in a significant place. Shechem, it's believed, is that place where God spoke to Abraham centuries, generations before to say, I will give your descendants this land. And now the people stand on that place and it's a tangible reminder for them that yeah, we worship the God who is unbreakable in his promises because he promised this land to Abraham and our feet are on it. Our God is good. And so the people gather at Shechem. They present themselves before God. And as I say, there's a difference to this gathering than to others. In other occasions, Joshua has spoken to the people. But in verse two, we see that Joshua is speaking with an authority because it's not his voice. He's standing as a prophet before them to speak the words of God. And so verse 2, if we read from verse 2, and we'll read right through to verse 13. Then Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And so here we have what one commentator described as a God's eye view of his work among his people for history. Verse 2, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but to Jacob and his family, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. 
The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you land, the land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. And you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So here we have this huge sweep of history, taking people's gaze all the way back beyond Abraham to his father, Terah. And then God lays out this very broad summary of the history of people from then right up to their present experience, that they stand on the land that the Lord has given them. And as we read through, I wonder, did you notice the real emphasis there on God's activity for his people? In verses, from verses 3 to 13, I count at least 17 instances where we see that God is the one who does it. God is the one who acts. God is the one who provides. Here's just a snapshot of it. As we look back over these verses, I'd encourage you, if you don't like, um, or if you are happy to, to annotate your Bible, read through, circle every time you see a verb that's attributed to God. And you'll come up with a list that looks a little bit like this, that God says, I took, I led, I gave Abram many descendants. I gave Jacob, I gave Esau. I assigned the hill country to Esau. I sent Moses to Egypt. I, I afflicted the Egyptians. I brought you out, we see twice. I put, well, it says that the Lord put darkness between you and the Egyptians. The Lord brought the sea over the pursuing Egyptian army. God brought you to the land. God gave them into your hands. I destroyed them, said the Lord. I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you from, their, from his hand. I gave you uh, all the enemies into your hands. I sent the hornet, which drove your, the enemies out of the land that he was giving, that I gave you a land. Not by your own spear and bow, he said, or your own sword and bow. The point is, the Lord has given them everything that the people have. Everything that's been done in this wonderful sweep of history that we look over is the Lord's doing. It is God's doing. Every victory was the Lord's gift. Everything that the people have and enjoy is a gift from God. And that leads then to verse 13. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. God is saying, my people, I have given you all that you need. And I have brought you to this place. And what a good and gracious and loving and kind and inexhaustible, faithful God he presents himself to be because that's who he is. And that with all of that ringing in their ears, that's the context in which Joshua then starts to speak in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. See, because of all that he has done, and this is a big, broad sweep. We haven't even talked about a lot of the detail. This is all that God has done. And now, because of all of that, fear him and serve him with all faithfulness. Based on everything that he has done, that's the context that provides this choice. The people are literally standing on the land that God has given them. So fear him. Serve him with all faithfulness. That's the context. Choosing to follow God, choosing to fear God is not, does not come to the, the people here out of nowhere. It, it's not a suggestion to be taken on board and dealt with later. It's not, a, it's not a, a deal that is offered with an incentive to draw them in. No, it is the reality. This is who God is. Fear him and serve him wholeheartedly with all faithfulness. And if, if those verses showed the people who God is, how could they choose anything else? 
when God says in verse, or when Joshua says to the people in verse 14 and 15, choose to serve the one true God or these other gods, these gods that were, that your fathers, your ancestors, sorry, did serve beyond the Euphrates, who didn't do anything for them because they were dead gods, or the gods of the land of the Amorites on which you now stand, as in the gods who could not protect their people, supposedly, from Yahweh's people. God has shown himself to be incredibly faithful. Therefore, choose for this day for yourselves who you will serve. Surely the answer is obvious. We must serve God. Look at who he is and all he's done. Who else is worthy of devoting life to? That's the context for the choice. This reminder of who God is and his incredible faithfulness. And then we see in verse 14 and 15, those verses we've already read and we will read them again, the clarity of the choice, the reality that there is God or not God. And Joshua says to the people in verse 14 and 15, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so the choice is clear, isn't it? It is the Lord, it is Yahweh, or something or someone else. Whether it's the gods your ancestors worshipped and served, or the gods of the nations that have been driven out before you, the point is clear: there is a choice to be made, and it's one or the other. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And Joshua makes it blatant. It, it, it is not possible to have a foot, one foot in God's camp and another foot anywhere else. God demands, God deserves complete devotion. Two feet rooted in him is the only way to follow. And so it's why Joshua says here, throw away all those other gods. There cannot be any sign of compromise. There can't be any hint of syncretism with God's people. They follow him. They serve him with all faithfulness because of who he is. How could we treat him lightly enough that we dilute our obedience to him by also obeying other things? This is a real challenge to us, isn't it? As people whose hearts long to worship, yet we so often get drawn to worship lesser things. And God stands to say, look at who I am. Look at the love I have for you. Look at the goodness that is only found in me and serve me wholeheartedly. We'll come on to see this more clearly in a few minutes. If we skip down to verse 19 and 20, we see Joshua bringing this point home even more. Verse 19, after the people have responded, and we'll get there in a second, but in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. And this language might sound strange to our ears, but the idea of God's jealous holiness is not, is not a new thing in Scripture. And, and when we think about it, when we consider it more fully, oh, we should see it as good news. It, it, is, it is a good gift to us that our God is jealous that he is holy. That is good news for us. It might not strike us as such when we first read it, but it is so good. You see, God is holy. 
He is the only perfect holy being in the universe. Therefore, all he does is good and right and true. And therefore, he longs that we know him. He longs that we love him because he knows that he is the best thing. And therefore, it would be unloving for him to say, I am the best. I, I, I am the only true and right and loving one in the universe. But it's okay for you to go and love other people too and other things too and serve other gods too. That would be an unloving response from the God who knows that he is the best thing for us. He knows he is the best thing and so he longs for our hearts fully devoted to him because everything else is lesser. The sovereign God knows that all these other things that we sometimes turn our attention and our affection to, they will let us down. They will certainly not lead us to a life of salvation and forgiveness from sin and eternity with the, the presence of joy himself. And so he lo longs for us. The, the creator of the universe longs for us to know him and serve him wholeheartedly, to turn completely to him. In the words of Joshua 24 here, to throw away the other gods, small g, that we so often turn to. And so God longs for, he, he is jealous for our whole hearts. And that is good for us. That is good for us. Because he is the ultimate good. And so that's why there needs to be quite drastic action taken. It's why Joshua tells the people twice in verse 14 and in verse 23, throw away your other gods. Because if, if there's any hint of, of worshiping anything or anyone else, it will not lead to the fullness of life that God has for us. Because of all that he has done, because of his wonderful faithfulness, there is none like him, so serve him wholeheartedly. And, and so that's the clarity of the choice that's presented. It's choose God or choose a lesser God. And if the choice to follow the one true God is made, then we do so with our whole hearts. That's, that's the context of the choice. That's who God is. That's the clarity of the choice. We, we must choose him. He, he is the greatest and best. And therefore, as we choose him, we say no to everything else that vies for our attention and our affection and pulls at our hearts. And so thirdly, then, let's think about the commitment to that choice. We've already seen that there needs to be some emphatic ac action done to remove all those other gods, etc., from the lives of the people here. And as we think about what that means for us, what it means for those of us who, who love and follow Jesus and want to serve him wholeheartedly, well then, how ruthless are we about rooting out compromise, rooting out sin, rooting out that worship of anything that is not directed towards Yahweh. And so the people demonstrate here real commitment to this choice. We see it in a number of places, but let's read in verses uh, 16 to 18. Joshua has just said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then verse 16, the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And so the people themselves remember, of course, look at all that God has done. How could we not? Far be it from us. There's almost an incredulity here. How could we not serve him? Look at all he's done. Of course, we too will serve the Lord. 
But then the text takes a bit of a strange direction, and we see this toing and froing between Joshua and the people. It almost seems as if Joshua is trying to, uh, to make it clear you, that this is going to be a difficult decision. You need to choose this well. And so the people have just said, we will serve the Lord because he is our God. And Joshua says, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is holy God, jealous God. He will not forgive your sins, as we've read before. And it comes back, they say, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, okay, well, you are witnesses then that you are going to do this. And they say, yes, we are witnesses. We will serve the Lord. And this idea that Joshua is trying to present to them, I think that you're not able to serve God. I don't think it's about a permission thing. It's not that you're not allowed to follow God. No, that's not it. It's actually that Joshua is explaining in your own strength, in your own way, by your own capacity, you're not able to. He is holy, he is just, he is jealous, and therefore he demands complete obedience. You must give him your whole heart. And that's not just about a willpower thing in you. This isn't something that you can celebrate because you have followed him faithfully. Any way we can follow him is because he gifts that ability to us. And for those of us today who, who seek to follow Jesus, this sounds like such a tall order that God commands complete obedience. Yes, he absolutely does. We can't water that down but he also promises to provide everything we need to live that life of obedience. Therefore, it's, it's not just for the select few who are able. It's, it's not just for those who, who, can, who can control their own desires by their own strength. No, because God promises his spirit to all who believe. And the gift of the spirit is self-control. A gift of the spirit is patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and joy and love. It is the Spirit's work within us that transforms us into Christ-likeness. That's what enables us to live wholeheartedly for him. So yes, God commands complete and full obedience, yes. Yes, we need to throw away the gods and we need to take action to root out sin. We can't be compromising in the midst of it. But it is the Spirit's power within us that leads us into the desire to even know him and love him as he calls us to. And so yes, we must count the cost of what it's going to take to say no to all that other stuff because we know that God is better. He is the greatest life. And therefore he even gives us the gift of the spirit to enable us to live that way. What a good and gracious God we have. And so these, these words of Joshua that you're not able to serve the Lord, they're, they're not rendering the people hopeless. That's not the point of them. But rather they're an emphasis that God is holy. Trust in him. You in your own strength are not able to do this, but with God's help you can. So serve him reverently. Give him everything. And so the people say, yes, we will. We will serve the Lord. We will serve him wholeheartedly. And so then the chapter ends with Joshua reaffirming the covenant. He sets up a stone as a witness to them. This is another stone monument that we see in Joshua. And so the people have made these, these significant commitments. And as the, this book comes to an end, this book which has been full of highs and lows and triumphs and failures, this book ends really positively for the people. Even if you scan down to verse 31. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. This is a good ending to this story, that the people serve the Lord faithfully. Now, unfortunately, we, we don't have to go too far. Depending on your Bible, it could be two or three pages over. And by the time we get to Judges chapter 2, we see this fairly devastating report. 
in verse 10. After that, the whole, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that's the generation who lived with Joshua and the elders, another generation grew up who, neither, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. And so judgment comes, and it's very distressing. But the point, we shouldn't let that reality take us too far away from the joy that we see at the end of chapter 24. That the people, this generation with Joshua, choose to commit. And they follow wholeheartedly. Now, yes, obviously they make mistakes. Clearly they do. If they didn't bring up the next generation to follow on, of course there was, there was errors made. But let's, let's appreciate the example that they set for us here at the end of chapter 24 before we skip too far into Judges. Let's recognize that they saw the wonderful context that God had made for them to make this choice to follow. They saw the faithfulness that he had displayed. They saw the choice that they must make. We can't compromise on this. We've got to be clear in our commitment to Yahweh. And they make that commitment and they follow him wholeheartedly as far as we can tell from the end of chapter 24. It is a good model for us, example for us. And so as we see the people being presented with this choice, choose this day whom you will follow. It's, it's the, the choice that I want to lay before us all. Not just because we're entering a new year. And, and whether this is the first time you've made that choice to say, this God, this is the God, the holy, just God who has made a way for salvation to be opened through the sacrifice of Jesus in my place. He has made it possible to remove sin from my life so that I can know him for now and for all eternity. If today's the first time that you make the choice to say, that's the God I'm committing my life to, and praise him. Make sure you tell someone before you leave. Or maybe for the thousandth time, as you start another new year, this is another stake in the sand where you say, this day I choose to serve the Lord. You, you know that there have been areas in your life where there's been compromise, where there's been, there's been a, a sense of, of just apathy in our walk with God. And so today, hopefully the Lord by his word through his spirit has stirred your heart to say, choose this day who you'll follow, knowing that he is best. Maybe not, his ways aren't necessarily easy, but they are best, eternally best and eternally glorifying to him. And so as you enter into this new year, as we all do that together, may we take some time to reflect on who God is. Reflect on the goodness and the context with which he has placed us now to make this choice. And we can look back over passages like this and indeed all of scripture and we see the faithfulness of God displayed for us. We will remember the meal that grants us access into his throne room because of the forgiveness through Jesus. We remember it is good for us to stop and remember his goodness. And maybe you can look back over your own life and you know you can easily chart his faithfulness, his sovereignty at work in your life. And so because you know that, may we all then realize the clarity of the choice that's to be made. Yeah, today's the day. Not just that the Lord has made, this is the day that I am once again choosing to follow him. Where I'm rooting out areas of sin and compromise. Where I'm determining, because of joy, I am determining to follow him more faithfully. And therefore, we do commit to serving and obeying him this year, allowing him to guide our steps 
allowing him to direct our time, allowing him to inform and determine our financial decisions, our family goals, our career aspirations. He is the one who's in the driving seat. And we do so not begrudgingly, but we do so joyfully knowing that in him is life. And therefore we choose to trust in his ways, in his time. And therefore, like verse 14 says, we fear the Lord. We serve him with all faithfulness. And so would you consider, as I said, for the first time or for the thousandth time, that statement of Joshua, choose for this day, choose for yourselves this day, whom you will serve. And I pray that all of us, every single one of us, will be able to echo Joshua's words. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He is good. He, he is offering, and he does offer life, forgiveness, eternity with him. He offers rescue from the eternal penalty of sin. He is a good and faithful and loving God. His words are unbreakable. His promises are true, and he's inviting us into following him. So may he help us to do just that as we enter into 2024. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that at all times and in every day, you are good. It's not just because we're turning into a new year that we can reflect on this, but thank you, Father, for the opportunity that this time of year does give us to pause, to reflect, to recognize again your unwavering faithfulness, your supreme goodness, your holiness, your jealousy, and Father, these things make us marvel as we stand before you. And Lord, they, they, we recognize as we stand before you, we recognize our sinfulness, we recognize our failings. And so, Father, we pray once again that you would hear our hearts' cries of confession, that you would forgive our sin, you would set our feet anew with you, you would lift us out of the mire, and Lord, that you would put us on the path that you direct us on. And Lord, therefore, that we would follow you wholeheartedly, just like Caleb. We would follow you with all faithfulness. We would serve you, Father, that your will would be primary in our hearts and lives, that we would search your word to know how you would live us or how you would have us live. We would commit ourselves to praying and laying ourselves before you daily because we know that your ways are best and so we want to walk in them. And Lord, we recognize, Father, that we need help to do this. And we are so thankful that you give your spirit to lead us and guide us in your ways. We thank you that you have gifted us with your word, that your, your will is not unknown to us. Father, you have revealed your will to us by your word. And so we pray, Father, that we would be people rooted in it, embedded in it. And therefore, Father, our lives would bear the fruit of deep roots in you. Father, we recognize that as your people live in this way, Father, you move mightily uh, in the people who gather around us who may not know you yet. And so as we often pray, Father, we ask that you would move in our hearts, that our love for you would grow, that our desire and our obedience to you would grow. And therefore, Father, we would be faithfully witnessing for you wherever you place us throughout the week. Lord, with our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, our families, those who we bump into in the battle station. Father, we pray that we would be faithful 
good, true ambassadors of you so that, Father, others may be, may be welcomed into your family by bowing the knee in repentance to you. So, God, we pray for your help. And we ask, Father, that as we launch ourselves into a new year, that we don't go in our own strength, but, Father, we go guided by you, carried by you indeed. Have your way, we pray. As many of us declare today, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Come by your spirit, we pray.